Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. Yes, indeed. And it's a beautiful day out there. It's uh, almost fall-like, would you say? This morning, at least, huh? Fall-ish. Fall-ish. Okay, I like it. I can buy that. But a uh, little rain, I guess, moved through the area yesterday. Little sprinkles here and there. We will take it for sure. Apparently, there was a little bit overnight at my place because I woke up and looked out in the parking lot, and it was like, wait, where did this water come from? <laughs> a little wet, huh? Well, nothing wrong with that. No. Well, we had a good day yesterday down at two Mississippi museums for Empower Mississippi's Unleash Mississippi event. Fascinating. Really was. And I know we had uh, plenty of great guests on the program. Hope you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as we did hosting the show from that venue. And uh, lots of legislators uh, and other interested parties on hand for the event. Had three panel discussions, which correspond with the policy area focus of Empower Mississippi. We had one on uh, school choice. We talked a lot about that on the program yesterday. And then I was honored to moderate a panel discussion on work, the category of work is what we call it at Empower. And that's really just our short, sort of simple way of advocating for pro-growth economic policy. And then we had the uh, final uh, panel focused on some common sense criminal justice reforms. The panel that I was um, honored to moderate consisted of Jonathan Williams, with the American Legislative Exchange, and then John Caldera. He's with the Independence Institute in Colorado, and Russ Latino. Most folks know him in Mississippi, the publisher of the Magnolia Tribune media. So had a lot of discussions about tax reform in Mississippi, accomplishments thus far, more that we need to continue to pursue other pro-growth policies as, as it uh, pertains to the uh, regulatory framework, 
And we learn from Mr. Williams, who Jonathan Williams with Alec, who publishes uh, a paper, a report on a regular basis called Rich States, Poor States, name of the report. And we learned that in his most recent report that Mississippi, given its success in enacting pro-growth policies, economic policies, specifically our income tax reform in 22, and then in 23, of course, we passed the bill that allows immediate expensing of capital equipment investment for businesses that is considered a a very attractive and a very powerful pro-growth policy. And Jonathan rated Mississippi at 22nd in terms of economic outlook, up from 27th, which was good news. And he, he talked about States, it, we've something we talked about here on the program a lot of times. You know, we got some states going in a different direction. They're actually busy raising taxes, which is incredible, and implementing more policies uh, around regulating business and just regulating the economy in general. And it was just interesting to hear him talking about the dysfunction in Washington, certainly from an economic policy perspective, and also shared his thoughts on the administrative state and and just how much of our lives are controlled by unelected bureaucrats that are tucked into that administrative state and, and seem to be permanent. Just can't seem to shake them. Mr. Caldera, he discussed something that he advocated for in Colorado that has been passed called the taxpayer uh, the taxpayer bill of rights also known as TABOR and one of the provisions of that taxpayer bill of rights is that when a surplus is produced by the state government the the government rebates that surplus back to the taxpayers. They also have a very robust initiative process that does allow a fair amount of control over taxation by the, by the voters at the ballot box as opposed to relying on the government itself, the, those elected in the State House and, and the Governor of Colorado. But uh, he was quick to point out that we're ahead of the state of Colorado in so many ways with respect to pro-growth economic policy. And, and no surprise, he said that, okay, well, the tax policy opportunity at the ballot box on the part of uh, the citizens through the initiative process well, they now are just working around that by calling taxes, which is really what they are. They're fees. They're not taxes. They're fees. So it's just a big fee you pay to the state government. Unbelievable. So you, you just got this contention between those on the left, those on the right, and those on the left just want more taxes. 
Hey, give me more revenue, because I can plan the economy better than you silly people out there, you silly citizens. You don't know what you're doing. you got to send me that money so that I can make all the calls on how to spend it. Give me, give me, give me. And we got into a discussion about how several states have not only blown through all of their COVID helicopter money, they exceeded that, and now they're facing deficits that they got to figure out how to how to cure. Whereas in Mississippi, you certainly have to take your hat off to our legislature and our governor uh, on the basis that they didn't just go crazy and spend all that money. But it's also fair to say that a primary driver of the surpluses that we have experienced in Mississippi over the last three years, yeah, no secret, a lot of that federal government COVID money, which just got lapped onto the debt. $32 trillion is where we stand right now. So it was just a good discussion and, and interesting to hear about what's going on in other states on the uh, – on the topic of school choice, of course, we're seeing kind of the walls close in on us there. We had a state senator, you may have heard her on the program yesterday, from the great state of Arkansas, who discussed the bill, the LEARNS Act, that was signed into law by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, sweeping universal school choice, being phased in. And, uh, and the senator primarily responsible for driving that, you may have heard on the program yesterday, talked about that and how they were able to overcome some of the objections by Republicans and Democrats, but ultimately got it through. So we got Arkansas with this universal school choice legislation. Alabama, by the way, folks, very close to getting something done. Louisiana already has fairly robust school choice, but working for more. Tennessee as well. You already know about Florida, Iowa, Arizona. Those are kind of the beacons for school choice. Indiana to some extent as well. This is a movement that's sweeping the country. Something else that's interesting to consider is that every Republican candidate for president has indicated full-throated support for universal school choice, at the, at the federal level, at least. And honestly, it was Donald Trump, really the first president that I can recall that ever even discussed it, and brought in, of course, as Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. We interviewed her on the program. She was here in Mississippi, I think back in the spring, a huge advocate for education freedom. And, of course, the left constantly just derided and excoriated her and the president on their support. But there's a bit of hypocrisy from some elected leaders on the left. we got a story to share with you on that later on in the program. Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard and producer of The Gallo Show, is up next. Stay with us. The mammoth's got a brand new bag. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studio. We welcome now Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show. That may be the longest title in the entire company right there. Right? Can you say that fast? No. I, I can't. I try to do that on Friday nights, and I'll dream about it, actually, Gerard. I wake up. And go, oh, okay, what is it? I said, high school football insurance company. Oh, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. So I have rehearsed it quite a bit. I'm still reading off the of notes on it, though. So I got you. Yeah. Well, we got it there. So it's Friday. That means high school football across the Magnolia State. What are we looking at tonight? Well, there are quite a bit of games that are going to be marquee type of games tonight. I'll run through quickly the top ten uh, and what they did last week, who they have this week. Starkville coming in at number one. They're 3-0, and beat Meridian 42-21. They host uh, number seven, Louisville, and uh, that's going to be a matchup there. That probably is your number one game of the of the week. Uh, happens to be number one versus number seven. Oak Grove comes in at number two. They beat Hattiesburg pretty handily, 32-14. They have MRA. That's another big-time game there. And Oak Grove is my dark horse to win the 7A this year. they just very talented, play uh, very well as a team, loaded offensively, defensively. And then you got MRA, a team that is not scared to play anybody, and they'll play anybody, and mm-hmm. they play anybody well. So this is a game that uh, – I think if you were if you were Oak Grove, you don't want to go into the bricks over there and play that game. So uh, yeah, but you know it, you got to play them, and I think MRA is really looking forward to this. So I'm not saying an upset's on the horizon, but that's one to keep your eye on there. Uh, Tupelo has Oxford. Uh, they beat Hernando forty to nothing last week. Oxford uh, dropped one, and so you got a three and O team going up against a two and one team. That again is going to be a battle. And uh, Picayune is number four. They took out Diaveril, who's a seven A team, forty two to seven, and did it hand. Uh, they have another big team and another big matchup with number six Gulfport. So you got four and six. So so far in the first you know four or five that we've mentioned, they're all big games, and we haven't even gotten to district stuff yet. Right. So these are these are marquee battles. That ought to be fun. Yeah, well, and then hey, we're going to Bob and I were just laughing about this one. Number five, Madison Central, three and zero. They travel across the lake here and go over to Northwest Rankin, who lost a nail biter last week. Hmm. You know, so uh, it, Northwest they they got up seventeen nothing and just couldn't hold them. So Madison Central's had the luck of the Irish a little bit this year, <laughs> and Northwest is uh, played well. Northwest very improved. Uh, I'm a Northwest homer. Yeah, there we go. Got a good you know update there from ESPN. Nice. <laughs> Um, so we're going to move on now to Gulfport, who's two and one six. They've got Picayune, obviously Louisville, who we've talked about, has number one Starkville, Holmes County, and we had Garrison on the phone with us, the quarterback from Holmes County this uh, this past Friday night. And what a gentleman, what a great guy. He was at Ridgeland last year, Holmes County this year. They're off this week, but they beat Canton Academy fifty nine to twenty seven. <laughs> Pearl, who is much improved as a 10th grader quarterback, Jack Durr, he was a ninth grader last year. I mean, he looked like he's 120 pounds. But this guy would hit anybody, run over anybody. And so Pearl, 3-0, and has Ridgeland tonight. And they beat Brookhaven. Pearl did 27-20. Ocean Springs beat Northwest Rankin. That was the game that put them in the top 10 and knocked Northwest out of the top 10. 27-24. That was the score of that one. And Ocean Springs has Natchez this week. That's going to be your top 10 for your big schools. Little 10, MRA's number one. Winona number two. Winona has Choctaw County. They beat Kosciuszko 37-17. Winona's got a great team this year, Gerard. And uh, Grenada is another team in that area that's just looks stacked, playing hard. Yeah. Um, Noxaby County, the, the one game that I really – goodness gracious – 
uh, one game I wanted to cover there was the Knoxby County Shannon game because Knoxby County's one and two, but they've lost you know some <laughs> one of those things. It doesn't get any easier for them, but Knoxby County has played a very tough schedule, and uh, they're going to have uh, Shannon, who's tough. Uh, Knoxby County lost to Starkville forty nine eighteen and West Point fifty to forty, and then they have Louisville next week. But they got Shannon two and one, and Shannon is a uh, is a tough team. So that's going to be another matchup. I think you got to really pay attention to uh, Knoxaby County. That's who we're talking about. They're always good, and it's a battle of Highway forty five. Basically, you know, you go to Macon and Shannon right up the road from each other. So that'll be a kind of a uh, north south battle on forty five. Jeff Davis County three and zero. They have Columbia, another very good team. Uh, Jeff Davis beat Laurel 23 26-23 last week, and and Laurel struggled a bit, but they've done that almost every season early, and then they seem to find their footing. Hartfield has Starkville Academy. They're number five. Jackson Prep number six. In the Little Ten, they have Park Lane, and Park Lane is a solid team this year. Only lost one game. Uh, Union at 3-0 and at 7. They have Newton County. Choctaw County 2-1 and has Winona. Jackson Academy, who's 4-1, and has Lamar School. Lamar School has not lost a game yet. So, again, that's going to be another one of those great battles. And finally... Velma Jackson, who did not play last week, has Jim Hill this week, and I imagine Velma Jackson will probably uh, put it on Jim Hill. They're, what the, what's tough. the classification of Velma and Jim Hill? I believe they're three A. Is okay. what I believe. Now I'm not. They, they've changed on me. Uh, yeah. But Velma's been a power in that Camden area. So. Yep. Uh, they're they're one of those teams you just don't want to mess with too often, and yeah. give, any, give them any room because they are fast and they play hard. Yeah, they do. That that's basically your top ten on both the the Big Ten, the Little Ten. There are quite a few good games out there. Other than those, I don't want to just run through. And if you have anything you want to add, I would love to hear what you well, have to say. Well, I, I was curious as to know of, of all those games that you that you discussed there. Are there any particular players that are we're, we're focusing on, or or more importantly, that uh, the big time colleges are focusing on that their prospects, uh, let's say at the D one level. Well, you got Trey Petty, you know, at Starkville. He's yeah. an excellent quarterback. Not sure where he's going to end up going, but uh, a guy that I believe will have opportunities there. Uh, Oak Grove has a whole list of guys that are, you know, yeah. whether seniors or juniors and sophomores upcoming. Uh, Madison Central always has some good players sure. there. And so you're looking at not as many of the marquee names at Madison Central. Northwest doesn't really have some big names in there. Picky, you know, obviously Chris Davis, and he's a, an Oregon commit. Um, you know, uh, Lake Cormorant, you got. You know the uh, the defensive linemen there. I, yep. I didn't mention their game, but they are playing very good football too. I mean, you can just basically go up and down any of these teams and find great players. Uh, Holmes County, and like I said, Garrison Davis over there. He he's starting to hear hmm. uh, they're off this week, but he's had uh, as a uh, at Ridgeland last year and this year just tearing it up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things you just kind of, as I told him, you just go out and play football, and you don't worry about any of that stuff because if you're as good as you are, uh, they're going to notice you. So a lot of what we have, we have 15 or so. I think we have uh, 15 four-star better this year in Mississippi that are rated already. Uh, Some of the three-star players in that 24 class are very close to being four-stars. And then that junior class, you're already looking at 10 four-star or better players. And that's a lot given that most of these kids – 15 is a bumper crop, (laughs) four-star. Stars. Well, and it's I mean, just we may continuing. have two or three typically. Well, and that's right. And you have some, uh, I mean, really good players that everyone wants. If you go through the list of who's who in the the top fifteen in that twenty four class, it's uh, it's something to see. If you look at it on a per capita basis, too, Gerard is something to me that's always uh, fun to look at because you want to compare. 
You know, we don't have a lot of people here. It's about 3 million people. Florida, 20-plus million. Texas, right. almost 30. And our uh, per capita put out of guys going into big schools is uh, we, we double what they're doing. And, yeah. You know, so it, it, Dixon reading off last week all the Mississippi guys in the NFL – uh, I, I really was just blown away at how many we have. You don't realize that. Yeah, they, they come out of the high school ranks, you know. Yeah. So that that's where they get their start. JUCO, uh, another where you see the best football junior college wise in the country, and you wonder why because we have such great players, and we have a great system here. The fourteen or so teams, they are tough. You don't want to play any of those guys if you're coming in from out of state. So loaded with Mississippi talent. The Mississippi schools seem to be doing pretty well this year. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern has a very good four-star commitment as well from a defensive lineman. So things are on the up and up. And I think we're going to continue seeing this type of production with the talent coming out. I think the coaching's there, the systems are there, and you're starting to see the camp circuits and things working and really just the talent starting to rise. Anything that uh, would be recognized or that has stood out as a result of changing the classifications? You know, it, it is definitely challenging for us on this side to you get used to something after a couple of years <laughs> and then you change it. Uh, the 7A classification has 23 teams playing in it. Uh, Murrah is a 7A classification from attendance, and but as far as from the football side, they play in a open district. So Murrah's undefeated in that open district. They haven't played any 7A teams yet, uh, but that's an oddity there where you have 24 that are that made the cut for 7A. One of them in Murrah. Is the 24th team, and they're not playing in the 7A ball. So yeah. that's the most notable thing, I think, out of all of them. Well, it uh, will be interesting to watch as the season progresses. Yeah, and, hey, as Dixon says, as the weather, as the temp drops, the, the action heats up. And that's right. It's starting to heat up. <laughs> that's right. Lance, appreciate it. Thanks oh, my for coming pleasure. in. Yep. We're stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Well studio. We got Kelly Bennett coming up at 1120. With Super Talk Mississippi News. And then at 12.05 today, it's Ty Pinkins. That uh, would be the candidate for Mississippi Secretary of State as a Democrat. We, uh, we want you to stay with us. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. We are back in the Element Well studio. So we were talking earlier about the panel discussions yesterday, and and uh, the one that I was uh, honored to moderate included Jonathan Williams with the American Legislative Exchange Council, John Caldera, Independence Institute from Colorado. He is was a strong advocate and instrumental in getting the Taxpayer Bill of Rights 
enacted into law in Colorado, but they've just found a way to sort of circumvent it by calling what are truly taxes fees. That's how they do it, including the uh, state's fuel tax. I believe he said yesterday that's now considered a fee. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then, then, of course, Russ Latino from Magnolia Tribune. And Russ uh, and I, uh, well, him mainly, but I asked questions to him about the regulatory framework in the state of Mississippi. Still a lot of work to do. Professional licensing is one of those areas for sure. He also uh, pointed out the fact that our our regulations as codified significant number of pages of them in the documents that uh, comprise Mississippi's regulations, state regulations. And honestly, I don't know all of them. I doubt anybody does. Maybe it makes sense to review every single dang word of those documents and figure out which ones really provide no value to the state, to society, to the citizens of Mississippi, and talk about erasing them, repealing them. Maybe they just need to be amended. I suspect that there are a lot of situations, Rhino, where we, I mean we as in individuals, we as in businesses, probably violate many of those regulations on the books and don't even know it, don't even know they exist, don't know that we're breaching them, which means that they were probably dumb to start with, honestly. But it's, um, I think it's a subject that, and an issue that can, continues to need focus that we should work towards. I, I actually believe that one of the policies that President Trump implemented early on, you remember, was, hey, if you're going to add a regulation at the federal level, you're going to strip and tear down and repeal two. You add one, you get rid of two. And I think that that, that policy was as instrumental in driving economic performance in just a, a, a healthy economy with low inflation, plenty of opportunity during that four-year period, than the tax reform, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the tax policy implemented under the president. Regulations are, are a huge part of uh, what makes a positive economic, a healthy economic environment where companies want to invest. In fact, certainty is another big aspect of that. Faith, confidence, and certainty on the part of businesses, those are essential to drive investment, job creation, expansion. When you have faith, confidence, and certainty, you're not constantly trying to anticipate and concerned about, oh my gosh, what are they going to drop on me next? And of course, when Joe Biden takes over, he ended that policy. And in fact, 
he swiftly began piling on more regulations. That's just how they operate. Because he is a big believer, as is his party, in central planning, where the government should dictate how businesses operate, every aspect of it, how you should conduct your lives, what you can buy, what you can't, what you're going to pay for it. That's just the way they roll. Yeah, we're watching uh, uh, some protests up in New York City. How about that? And it's concerning the migrant crisis. It's breaking the city. It's not only breaking it, there's so many, they're flooding the city's institutions, the schools, the hotels, the health care facilities. It's crazy. This is what you guys asked for. You're all cool with it as long as it stays down in Texas, in Arizona, but now it's in your backyard. You're not happy about it. Yeah, they're going crazy. Also, you probably heard the news, the UAW, United Auto Workers, uh, they're striking. You've probably seen that. They are striking against, against GM, Ford, and Stellantis. They're not happy. So they want, we looked it up the other day, Rhino, 46%, I believe, pay increase. Yep. Work 32 hours, get paid for 40 want to return to the defined benefit plan that basically was about to break all these major companies that implemented them years ago, and they all shifted. Same thing we got going on here with PERS and Social Security and every other defined benefit plan in the country. They're all on shaky financial ground. But the private sector, which had such plans in place for decades, woke up several years ago and said, yeah, this isn't going to work long term. And they shifted, uh, they put in some some policy to shift a lot of their workers into more traditional defined contribution plans like 401ks and so forth. But took care of everybody that was, most of them did, I think all of them did, to my knowledge, AT&T, Ford, GM, et cetera, the, the IBM, big companies that had these defined benefit plans. They didn't change anything for people drawing benefits, and they kept everything intact for their workers that were within a, a certain number of years of retirement. I think it was different depending on the company. But in general, if you've been paying in a long time and you're approaching retirement, nothing changes for you. You just started. You've been here a few years. We're shifting you over. Well, the union wants to restore the old defined benefit plan. And they're all mad. They're saying, you guys made all this profit. we got to have some of it. It's just unbelievable. And all the lefty members of Congress, <laughs> they're all in solidarity with the unions, right? But this is a problem with old Joe. And, and in fact, I'm looking at a report right now on the screen. It says, Biden to deliver remarks on UAW negotiations. Oh, I can't wait to hear that one. We talk about the time he was working on the line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my god! I was gosh. putting together Ford Pintos. <laughs> exactly. So there's some... Um, 
three assembly factories which employ 12,700 hourly workers. And this is just totally crazy. Ford's Bronco plant in Detroit, a, a Stellantis Jeep factory in Toledo, Ohio, and a GM pickup plant in Missouri. They were instructed to leave their posts Beginning of what could be a series of walkouts. I think we will see that. And I'm watching these uh, the, the images, video, of the union workers and the boss. And, I mean, it's uh, they're in, like, celebratory mode. They're just ecstatic about this. Union strong and all this sort of stuff. And what really gripes me is when they start... <laughs> they start comparing the CEO pay to the line worker in a factory's pay. They don't do the same job. And I, I, again, I point out the work, the decisions that are made by someone who manages a huge company have far greater impact on everybody's well-being. And I mean everybody. I mean the customers, the vendors, every stakeholder, the stockholder, the community, the, the municipalities and counties to which they pay taxes, the states, way more impact. It's just the way it is than the person working on the assembly line. They can mess up. Okay, well, they messed up that bolt. And I, I may be oversimplifying it, but their, the impact of their good work or poor performance doesn't have nearly, nearly the stroke that the person at the top does. That's what they just don't get. And there's just a sliver of people that are qualified to do that. There are armies of people that can work on the assembly line coming right back. 7.3. Bring the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. The Queen of Soul bumping us into this final segment of Hour 1 of Middays. We thank you so much for joining us. Kelly Bennett coming up at 1120. And then Ty Pinkins, candidate for Mississippi's Secretary of State, replacing Shawaski Young in that regard. Mr. Young bowed out of the race, citing health issues. So we'll get to talk to Ty Pinkins at 12.05 today. So, yep, like we said, Biden is scheduled to deliver remarks. Now I'm watching on the tube here, Rhino, these protests at a New York City event on migrants. How about that? What you want to bet most of these people are Democrats that support all these fools in the Congress and the President who, of course, tell us that the border is closed. Nobody's coming in. And they're taking over their dang city. And the mayor, Eric Adams of New York City, said, we can't afford it. 
This is going to completely change this town. It's going to transform it. That's one of the favorite words they like to use. Oh, wow. And now AOC is stepping up to the mic here at this event. You know, she's the one that feigned tears when she went to the border. Remember that? She didn't even go to the border. She went to a fence in a parking lot <laughs> and had a photo shoot. <laughs> oh, there's our good friend Jerry Nadler. He's another, he's another one. Uh, I don't know who's right there in the front at the mic. I, I don't recognize that individual. But I do see Nadler, and I do see AOC, and I see the protesters out and about in the streets of New York City, and they're mad. It's your deal. <laughs> you voted for these people that fully support this nonsense. Have you seen, by the way, video, I want to say it's, is it Panama maybe, of just hordes of Panamanians that are assembling at some point in Panama, waiting to get their turn to migrate to this country? to travel to this country. There's like some viral video going on on this. And they're like just packed in there shoulder to shoulder. And the thing that struck me, I didn't see any children. And we keep hearing that's all because we got to bring the children in. The children, children. Okay. But this is all adults. But their heads in the sand on this totally. But don't worry, we got Kamala Harris, the old border czar. She's all over it. By the way, Sonny Hostin, one of the hosts, co-hosts of The View, said yesterday that don't even think about not taking Kamala with you, Joe Biden, in your run for the presidency as your vice president. Americans won't vote for you. Unless Kamala's on the ticket. That's what she said. Oh, gosh. You just can't make it up. UAW, here's, there are some images of Wayne, Michigan. UAW, stand up, they say. <laughs> well, it is bizarre to watch what's going on there. And I, I, to a great extent... I do believe that the government, the federal government, has some responsibility for this because they're running around, have been for some time with this equity narrative. So the bottom line is the people working on the assembly line there believe they are entitled to the same pay in my view, or certainly close to it, that the executives of the company who make these difficult, challenging, trying decisions that have tremendous impact on everybody. And that's where they stand. They're pushing for more, they say, equity. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous word that has... Uh, become rooted in the society of this country. And this whole idea is, oh, wait, that person 
achieve more than that person? Well, that's not fair. That's not equitable. They never really compare and contrast capability or effort or performance or risk or any of the other aspects of achieving success and critical elements thereof. Oh, no, because remember, a can-do attitude and working hard and showing up on time and working toward the same goal, those are all European white colony. Colonialism. (laughs) Colonialism, right. White supremacy. Oh, gosh. Equity. I got to tell you, I hate that word in, in the context they use it. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming right back for the whole two hours of midday. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday, y'all. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear part two of an interview with Wesley Smith, who is the producer of Bridging the Blues, an annual blue road trip that spans Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish and homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant. Go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. And our good friend Steve Azar was in Madison yesterday singing the state song, One Mississippi at Madison Station Elementary School. Really appreciate him coming down. That's a a deal that uh, we were able to orchestrate with uh, my representative, Jill Ford of Madison, so really pleased that Steve, he sent me a video of it, Rhino, of him performing a song at the elementary school, Madison Station. The kids knew the words, and they were singing along. And I I tell you, folks, it's so heartwarming to hear these youngsters' voices. There's just something about children singing. And I'm so proud of my county and my state for something positive instead of this stupid drag queen story hour crap, which most of these events you've seen, Rhino, they're not just reading. they got to, of course, launch into this ridiculous dancing and gesturing. and it, I mean, it's borderline, if not even borderline, pornographic. Erotica, as you said the other day. And the, and the goofy left-wing teachers and and some parents and administrators, they look on, and they're encouraging this crap. They're clapping for it. They're praising it. They're glorifying it. They're lauding it. No. It's inappropriate. It's disgusting. It's disgraceful. You should be ashamed. I'm proud that here in Mississippi, in my county, we had the great 
Steve Azar. Something positive. The song is positive. The lyrics are positive. Something fun. The kids know it. And they're singing together. Just good to see that, to hear that. I just want to point that out. So this UAW strike, you made a point on the break that, hey, maybe these folks are going in the direction of McDonald's, right? Yeah, I wonder if the auto manufacturers are going to take a, a, a cue from McDonald's and go, fine, you want to raise? We'll cut half the workforce and we'll automate as much as we can. You know it's it's happening. You know they're thinking about it. Because this isn't like the late 1800s with, with labor strikes. This isn't even 70s labor strikes. Automation is real, and it's a real viable alternative. Yep, absolutely right. And, oh, man, you know... Especially when you're asking for almost a 50% raise. So these machines, one thing I've learned about them, they don't quit, they don't get sick, they don't take vacation, they don't bellyache about working conditions, which are mostly false anyhow and just a ruse, and they don't ask for raises and define benefit plans. And, and one of the things they want is is uh, more ag- egregious health care benefits for their retirees. That's one of the things the union wants. They want a 36. They started at 46. They want a 36% raise now. And uh, the companies came back and offered 20 no, they ain't good enough. They offered 20, and they said, look, we're going to keep your gold-plated health benefits. Then I can tell you, the rest of us in the private sector are not afforded the same sort of benefits these unions have negotiated. This is why cars are 80000 bucks, by the way. And, and so this, is, this would be my suggestion to the union and to the president. You want to help the unions? Back off this EV nonsense. You're killing these car companies because you're basically forcing them to make cars nobody wants to buy. You've probably seen recently the Ford CEO suggested that consumers just aren't willing to pay the premium. You see, this is, this is where the left completely miscalculates basic fundamental human nature. Oh, people will just pay more money just because they they feel more noble and virtuous about it. Look what I'm doing for the environment. Sure, I'll pay an extra 10000 Nobody does that. It's the same excuse they use for raising taxes. That's absolutely right. Oh, I'm so noble, I'm willing to pay more for other people. You could have done that without involving the government so they could skim off the top. So true. So the CEO says the consumers have charging anxiety. I agree. They do. It's just not practical. It's not ready for prime time. Now, I'll say again, I'm for an all the above. We need all of it. But we need choice. What I'm not for is force. And the federal government... And state governments. What, in 10 years in California, you won't be able to buy anything but an EV as a new vehicle in that state. You won't be able to buy them. So naturally, the car manufacturers, there's 40 million people in California. 
That's 12 times the size of Mississippi. And by the way, in California, there is little to no public transportation, mass transportation. Pretty much got to drive. I mean, there's there's some in the urban areas, but it, it's no secret that the interstates of California are like 12 lanes wide and full all the time. The Golden State Freeway, the, the turnpike around the freeways around L.A. proper and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's the locale where putting TVs in cars became trendy because you were stuck in traffic for hours a day. It's true. So the best thing that the president can do for the unions is say, okay, we're backing off of this, this EV mandate. And signal to the car manufacturers, you don't have to be in a big rush to do this because you're breaking them. You're killing them. Now, they're, that's true. They're making big profit right now. Well, a lot of that's because you sprinkled helicopter money all over the damn place. Sure. We all got money in our accounts as a result. Our states got flush, except a lot of them spent that and more. Counties, cities, rural broadband, just go down the list. There's all kinds of money. Now, it ran up the debt to $32 trillion, and we're dealing with stubborn inflation. We got the reports yesterday. Didn't go in the right direction. The price of oil, by the way, eclipsed $90 a barrel. And the president and the Democrats are celebrating that fact. They're celebrating it. Yeah, that's going to make those people buy those EVs. Wait till they see what we got in store. It's going to 100 That's what we want. Yay! So now the president's speaking, by the way. Well, no, still says soon. I'm looking at... Uh, no, okay, it is. He's talking right now. Um, so, again, I say the best thing you could do is, again, it's the faith, confidence, and certainty. And right now, if I'm the CEO of a car manufacturer, I don't know what the hell to do. I got the government saying, you're going to go make everybody buy EVs. That's what, you, that's what we're doing. And then I got the consumers who are saying, I don't want them dang EVs. So what do you do? That's why they get paid a lot. To make those decisions, because if they make the wrong ones, it affects a bunch of people. I point out again, no disrespect to the value of the work produced by the person on the assembly line. No doubt, they perform a valuable service. They are, they are a critical, necessary element, today at least, in the production of the vehicles. But their work product does not have the impact, does not have the dramatic effect that the person sitting in the C-suite does. It just doesn't. They don't get that. They don't appreciate that. It just doesn't. It's, but they never talk about, for example, in the, in the professional sports industry, good grief. You want to talk about pay disparity? What about the quarterback making $40 million a year relative to the person serving the popcorn in the stands? It's the same deal. Same deal because of how many people are affected by that one person. Well, suddenly when talking about that, they understand value added. Oh, I see. That's, that's different, right? But the CEO, oh, they just they just get paid money and do nothing all day. Okay, got it. 
Well, this is interesting to see what old Joe's going to say. He says automobile profits have not been shared fairly. That's BS Marxism communism. We're coming right back. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. The rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studio. It's middays. We appreciate you being with us today. Last day of a long week, it has been. All right, we welcome to the program now Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. Morning, y'all. I love it when you rant, Gerard. <laughs> I mean, this whole about the oh, God, just nothing aggravates me more than this. You're not entitled to squat. Well, and you didn't get a chance to see the president speak for what a total of like sixty seconds or whatever on the whole strike because you were doing the show. But I was sitting here trying to watch it while you were talking. And he basically says, yeah, they're not sharing their record profits and the workers deserve more money. And, you know, it's your typical argument. They don't think about the fact that these companies have to reinvest all the points you just made. Uh, But, you know, I wanted to start with that since you were already on topic. We spoke with John McKay earlier this week, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Manufacturers Association. And he talked about the expected impact on Mississippi of this strike. I'm not sure that it would directly impact because we don't we don't have a large UAW presence here at our Mm -hmm. manufacturing facilities. But uh, as far as the auto sector in general, it would be very impactful both for the workers and it's all these suppliers. That's the biggest yeah. thing. And it, and it's shocking. Folks don't don't connect the dots there because there are so many different companies, small and large, that supply our, our auto base here in this country. It, it would be a very uh, large ripple effect uh, that, that would be felt here in Mississippi. Yeah. And that's something you don't think about. You think about all the ancillary businesses that do business with these big businesses. You know, I mean, the economy, it's a big linked connected system and it needs to work together. And, you know, constant interference, this push toward EVs, that kind of thing. It doesn't do anybody any good. This green stuff is hurting our economy big time. No doubt about it. And, and yeah, uh, John is absolutely correct that there there is uh, sort of a ripple effect, and it, it, you can't just consider just directly what that means, but indirectly. The auto industry is a big part of the overall economy, and this, this can reverberate and send shockwaves throughout the economy. The other thing you see is 
There are a lot of other businesses that are fully unionized as well, and they see what the UAW is doing, and then uh, they decide that, okay, the UAW was successful if, if uh, you know, they end up being so. Okay, we're going to try our hand at it. And, and you just got this, this groundswell of union protest. Here's what I'll say about the president saying uh, these companies experience record profits and they need to just share those profits. Well, th- that should never come out of a president's mouth or any, in my view, politician's mouth. That just absolutely reeks of central planning socialism, where bureaucrats and elected people are dictating to a private company how they should operate. But here's the problem. They don't share any of the risk for those companies' operations. It's one thing to say, mm-hmm. okay, you guys are making all this money, you need to share it, but where are you when they're losing money? Nobody goes to their workers and says, hey, look, guys, we're, you won't do it in the union. We've got to cut your pay 20% to keep this thing going. No, they expect mm-hmm. the company just to absorb that and its stockholders, without which the union and their jobs do not exist. And they tend to forget about that aspect of it. Of course, we have a president who's never signed the front of a check and has no clue what's involved in running a company. Yeah, and it, it's pretty sad. And if you've ever worked a job like I have in the past where they had to cut your hours or or the business wouldn't exist anymore, so you have to make a choice as an employee you know, it stinks for you because you're not getting the hours you used to get and you've got to make up for that, but you're thankful to have the job. I mean, it all works hand in hand. And while we're on the topic of the economy, <laughs> I, apparently I've done a lot of economic stories this week. So I've heard you talk about the producer price index. It jumped 0.07% in August over July. That's almost double what was expected. The biggest jump in 14 months. And basically... That points to more inflation in the coming months. In the trucking business, we all uh, we we generally see downturns before the rest of the economy. So, uh, you know, put your seatbelt on because it's, it's it's not good good things ahead. <sighs> yeah, that's Jim Richards. He's the CEO of KLLM Transport Services. He was on the Gallo Show this morning, and he said, "Look, historically, when inflation hits and prices are high." People turn from beef to poultry. Tyson Foods is uh, our second largest customer. Uh, they're down dramatically, uh, closing four plants, and uh, so it's it's just a strange time out there. But uh, you know, personally, I think people just uh, finally inflation caught up with them towards the end of last year. Uh, they maxed out their credit cards, they depleted their savings accounts, and folks are just not they don't have the money to spend. Yeah, Jim's one recent right. Quinnipiac poll clocked a sixty percent disapproval rating of Biden on the economy. That's huge, and they they keep trying to tout Bidenomics. It's working. Nobody's buying this. Yeah, the um, the the polls indicate that, and and that's cross party. It's not just Republicans that are saying, though. There's a higher percentage of Republicans that are are making the point that. Uh, that Bidenomics isn't working, certainly more than Democrats, no doubt about that. But that's just because of their party loyalty. But they seem to just be tone deaf. They're not listening to people. 
who were talking about the struggles that they are enduring with this uh, ridiculous, stubborn, sticky inflation. The PPI, as you indicated, is a leading indicator. Essentially, it's the price of inputs in the production process. When it rises higher than expected, that foretells of inflation at the retail level around the corner, because typically producers are going to pass through those costs. And then you got the price of oil going up. Uh, now is over $90 a barrel. That's exactly where I was going next. Uh, Patrick Sullivan, the president of the Mississippi Energy Institute, says, look, it's basic economics. Everybody knows this, I think, at this point. For the price of gas to go down, supply needs to go up, and that is not what's happening. Yeah, our next visits up are going to be a little more painful Mm -hmm. uh, than the last. And, And what happened last week, Saudi Arabia and Russia announced that they were going to continue the sustained production cuts that they started back in the summer. Well, that, that's the issue that caused the the primary issue that caused the market, the oil market to spike last week. And the frustrating part is the Biden administration claiming we're doing everything we can to bring the prices down yet. And in the same day, <laughs> they say we're going to take, you know, 13 million acres uh, off of the table in Alaska and <laughs> We're going to cancel all the permits that were issued during the Trump administration. Unbelievable. So you've got prices up 17.4% and real wages down 3.1% since Biden took office. I saw a story this week and it was pretty sad. The teacher raise that our state leaders are so proud of has basically, because of inflation, it's a wash already when you do the figures. Yeah, it's been erased when you consider the the cost of living increase, and of course, they're also mm-hmm. incurring an increase in their uh, health care premiums at state level as well. And the healthcare industry, the insurance industry, is warning to expect the cost of of uh, premiums to increase uh, by a pretty strong clip next year, just as a result of the the increase in healthcare services. So, yeah, the, there's lots of headwinds out there on the economy and lots of things I think are going to be a problem for this president as he seeks re-election. It's pretty clear in every poll that's top of the list of concerns to voters. He just seems to be tone deaf about it. Tell us about the Buckeyes groundbreaking on the coast that happened this past week. This was really cool. And let me tell you, I've never seen so many people smile at an event. I go to a lot of news uh, press conferences. This is one of the happier ones I got a chance to attend. So uh, we actually talked with Mr. Beaver is what they call him. (laughs) Arch Beaver, Applin III, the company's founder. Yeah. Uh, The Travel Center is actually going to open. It's going to be a couple more years, I believe. Hang on. Let's listen to what he said. So we're under construction now. And so, I mean, but we're in the fall, so uh, not this coming spring, but the next spring. Yeah, so next spring. uh, It's going to be a great economic boon for that area. And when you look around, there are little shops, but not a ton of development in the area that this Bucky's is coming in. They've had to rebuild a bridge, design traffic around this place for what's expected. It's the first one in Mississippi. Uh, It's got a huge footprint. I can't wait to shop there. Be cool. I really can't. Kelly, appreciate great. you joining us and doing a rundown of the news there. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Wealth Studio, it's middays. Appreciate Kelly joining us and giving us a rundown of all that stuff. That Bucky's is something, isn't it? That's incredible. Really is. Glad to see that coming to the state of Mississippi and hope we get more. So we were just talking about the, the president and his remarks concerning the UAW strike. And all he really said was, Hey, you guys need to pay them more money. You're just swimming in record profits. Where are you, Joe, when they lose money? Because that does happen. I know a lot of people just think, oh, they just wake up every day and just money lands in the bank account. They tend to believe that about all businesses. Nothing to it. Just show up. Don't even have to show up, as a matter of fact. Just set up shop. Instant profit. Instant wealth. Nothing to it. You need to share it. I hate it. I really do. I, I despise it. You need to share in the equity. No, you don't. The market is the only fair negotiator of this. They'll work it out. I'm confident they'll work it out. But... No doubt, if, if the unions get their way, your vehicle costs are going up. And when that happens, they'll sell fewer of them. And when they sell fewer of them, they make less profit. And when they make less profit, guess what stockholders do? They sell your stock. They buy less. And guess what that means? you got less capital to build plants and hire people and develop next-generation vehicles. That's what happens. They don't get that. They just don't get it. I mean, this is the essence of a public company. And if you're a private company, the same is true. The, the private ownership says, well, we're not going to spend money to expand. We're not going to invest in research and development, new capabilities, new operational systems. So guess what then happens? All the people that sell that stuff to you, they don't get the benefit of those sales. This is just capitalism at work that they, of course, abhor, really don't even understand, let's be honest. Don't want to, because doing so means their power curve is diminished. The market, it encroaches on their cushy little gig, which is sitting up in Washington and directing traffic in the economy, dictating every aspect of it. That is socialism. That is central planning socialism. 
You know the story we shared about the Democrat mayor of Burbank had a fundraiser? Constantine, can't remember his last name. Anthony, Constantine Anthony. And so he has a drag queen. Of course, can you have a Democrat event these days without having the obligatory drag queen in attendance? Doesn't seem like it. It's a staple. And this video goes viral, recorded at the fundraiser, of this drag queen spanking the mayor. And he's proud of it. I mean, he's ecstatic about it. And so comes now some remarks after this event. Nobody knew who the hell the mayor of Burbank was, except the people around the area, maybe in, to some extent in California. But in general, this is not a national figure. Well, he's been catapulted to national prominence, first because he, he gets spanked by a drag queen, which is just insane. But now he records a video where... He tells us that he is an abolitionist, and he supports Marxist ideology. We should not be surprised. And now he's running for Los Angeles County Supervisor. He says a big issue on the ballot is police reform. He supports defunding the police, restricting officers' use of force in hostile scenarios, meaning where there's violence going on. A crime is in progress. He wants to create a a future without police and prisons. Do you support abolishing the police? The question asked in the interview. He replied, yes, I'm a full abolitionist meaning I support a, quote, policeless state. He also made this comment about how Marxism really allows you to be your own boss. Quote, I ask people this all the time. I say, hey, do you work for somebody or are you your own boss? And most people say, well, yes, I work for somebody, but someday I want to be my own boss. And the mayor says, well, cool. You know who wanted everyone to be their own boss? Karl Marx, he replied. What did I miss there? What's he talking about? He says, most people in the U.S. are really Marxists. They just don't know it. And he's trying to make this case that Karl Marx supported people being their own boss? Is that, is that some crazy, upside-down Marxist theory about the workers run the show, but the workers, of course, are under the thumb and the control and the power of the Marxist Politburo? I mean, it, they missed that part of it, right? They also love to leave out the part where Karl Marx raped his maid and got her pregnant. That's true. You cancel guys nowadays for saying something untowards towards a woman, but no, Karl Marx is a bastion. (laughs) That is crazy when you think about how warped that is. He says, most people don't understand that the American dream they're chasing is something that Democrat socialists have been fighting for for a hundred years. We want you to be your own boss. 
Now you can be collectively your own boss. So when we think about Marxism as an ideology and we remove it from its German roots and we talk about American socialism, it has a very different tone. (laughs) Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Do you think a democratic Marxist revolution could address these problems, the mayor was asked? I actually do. That's funny. I actually do, was his reply. Unbelievable that that exists in this country. Earlier we talked about, we were talking about school choice. We got some questions here we'll get to on the ceasefire text line in a minute. And it's, it's widely opposed by Democrats because they see the power of their party, honestly, and their ideology uh, being, being thrust on children in schools through friendly unions, teachers' unions. Randy Weingarten, who, honestly, when you listen to her talk, you get the feeling that she's a Karl Marx fan, as are many of them, because it confers power to them. That's what it's all about. Not to you, to them. Regardless of what this foolish mayor says, you can be your own boss. And do what? They don't think about that. They don't think about the concept, well, the market exchanges, consumers exchange their money for whatever it is you're producing, if they like it, if they need it, if it produces value for them. But they don't give you their money if those aspects are not achieved, those features aren't real. Well, we got this problem with the Chicago Teachers Union who completely denounced school choice as racist. Of course it is. What isn't? It's so exhausting. It's so long in the tooth. Anything, everything you don't agree with is racist. Well, it turns out Chicago Teachers Union president Stacy Davis Gates has a son in Catholic school, in a private school. She said, well, I'm okay with private schools, just not school choice. But she's president of the teachers' union. And her kid is in a private school. You can't make it up. By the way, we might have another Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light situation on our hands with Dove. That's right, Dove. The soap makers? We got to talk to you about that and get to some of these texts when we come back. In the Element Well studio, it is middays. Make it home tonight. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
are back in the Element Well studio, the great Don Henley with Dirty Laundry. That's what we do here. <laughs> That's right, Dove, makers of uh, soap products, a beauty giant. <laughs> they are facing a possible Bud Light-style boycott. You see, they have hired Black Lives Matter activist Zayana Bryant. Remember, she was the one, remember the story, who she got a white student expelled over some comments that are now being described as misheard. <laughs> so there's some customers that are posting pictures of bars of Dove soap in the trash can. She's 22, by the way. She has announced, as Ms. Bryant, that she is a Dove ambassador. <laughs> she, she is promoting fat liberation. <laughs> oh, gosh. She ruined Morgan Bettinger's life. And she's a Lifelong large lady is how she is described. Oh, my gosh. Elon Musk even chimed in. He said, messed up. And that was the words he posted alongside a clip of the activist who is promoting Dove Soap. She says, so when, in her, in her clip, I'm not going to play it. So when I think about what fat liberation looks like to me, it looks like centering the voices and the experiences. She posted that on her Instagram account. Remember, she was an activist. It was the University of Virginia. That was a pretty high-profile case. Pretty much any time you hear someone <clears throat> use the word centering, Outside of a therapy session, you know they're full of crap. <laughs> That's true. It's that old rhino dopamine effect is what it is, the syndrome there. She campaigned to get a white student suspended from campus. And she was a, an activist there at the University of Virginia. She accused Bettinger, the student, of referring to BLM protesters as, quote, good speed bumps, only to admit, this was in 2020, of course, the summer in the wake of the George Floyd incident, only to later admit, oh, perhaps I misheard it. Right. She campaigned. She successfully got the student suspended from campus. Greg Price director for the State Freedom Caucus Network said the decision to really just ignore that controversy by, I think it's Unilever, is the parent company of Dove, if I'm not mistaken. And, and yeah, I since Not to be confused with Mars, who owns Dove Chocolate. Okay, gotcha. That was one thing I did when I first saw this story. I was like, wait, is that like the Dove Chocolate? And I looked it up, and no. The Dove Chocolate and Dove Soap are made by different people. Two different doves. Gotcha. Glad, and that's important to distinguish. It could cause problems, you know, because a lot of people could potentially conflate. 
So I'm looking at a couple of photos here of people with their dove bars in the trash. So even my wife, who is not too much of a political activist, this aggravated her, and where I'm going with this is she uses some sort of, of skin product that Dove makes for a, a condition, and she said this morning after she heard this, I had it, uh, it was reported on the show I was watching, getting ready, and she said, oh darn, I got to find a new skin product. It incensed her. Honestly, it wasn't so much that this person's a BLM activist that upset her. It's that this person ruined somebody else's life. With lies. That's that's right. That's And that's understandable. So I, I get it. And that's just the way they roll, though, is it not? It's, it's terrible, in my view. But it's time for a break. You hear the music? That means it is top of the hour as well. So we got Fox News, Super Talk News coming up. When we return, it's Ty Pinkins, a candidate for Mississippi Secretary of State. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. back in the Element Well studio. It is midday, Super Talk Mississippi. And we welcome to the program now Ty Pinkins. Oh, we don't have him yet? All right. We're back. Uh, Mr. Pinkins is going to join us when he can. He is a candidate for Mississippi's Secretary of State. So I was just talking about this uh, situation with Dove chocolate. I mean, excuse me, Dove soap, not Dove chocolate, not to be confused with that. I just don't know what would possess Unilever to hire this BLM activist as their, uh, it's really crazy, as their uh, spokesperson. Uh, So uh, we'll see where all that goes, if that gets a lot of, of traction, um, I'm not sure if if this will get more exposure on the national scene and if folks will start boycotting Dove soap the way they have Bud Light and Target. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, we're just totally crazy. Um, also on the ceasefire text line, Thomas and Greenwood says, "So you prefer mounds over almond joy?" 
Hmm, I like the almond joy, I think, there, Thomas. He also says Biden shouldn't have a say, but the taxpayer, talking about the UAW strike, but the taxpayer shouldn't have bailed them out in the past or the future. I'm going to make a small correction. We, we frequently say, okay, we got Mr. Pinkins? All right. Ty Pinkins, candidate for Mississippi Secretary of State uh, as a Democrat. Ty, you there, sir? I'm here. How are you today, Gerard? I am doing doing fantastic. Glad we got that all worked out, and welcome to the program. So you're running for Secretary of State. You came into this uh, this campaign as a result of Shawaski Young's uh, health concerns, who had to drop out of the race as a result. What... Uh, what, what I guess, compelled you to um, uh, suit up and, and run for this particular office? Well, what, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me on your show. I really um, appreciate you sharing your time with me. Yeah. And one of the things that compelled me to run for office in general is my um, um, willingness and desire to serve um, Mississippians. I've served in, in the military for 21 years, three combat tours over 36 months, at war, and I wanted to continue that service. Previously, I was running for another race. However, when my good friend Shawaski Young had to leave this race for health reasons, um, my inclination was to view it um, as Mississippians deserve to have a choice on the ballot this November. And this race, this this uh, position specifically, the Secretary of State's race, is yeah. too important to not give Mississippians a choice when they go to the polls this year. Of course, the issues that the Secretary of State um, addresses um, are important to me, and I know important to other Mississippians, particularly as it relates to being the chief um, elections officer of the state. Gotcha. So what what do you see currently at the Secretary of State's office in the operations, the administration of the office, that you would like to change? What's your vision for the office if you, you should be elected uh, as the Mississippi Secretary of State? Yeah, there are, um, as Secretary of State, there are a diverse uh, range of responsibilities, such as overseeing charities and nonprofits, ensuring their proper functioning, and investigating suspicions of charitable fraud. Those are, that's one of the responsibilities, but also um, the Secretary of State has to cultivate relationships with industry and business leaders to promote economic growth across our state. And, and I'm talking about from as, as far north as DeSoto County, down south to um, Harrison County on the coast, or out west in Issaquina County all the way over to Clark County, making sure that we're promoting and developing economic growth across the state. But I, I think perhaps above all of these, the most crucial duty um, is serving as the state's chief elections officer, which I think entails, one, safeguarding the integrity of our voting process, and two, ensuring every eligible Mississippian um, has unfettered access to the ballot. And with regard to voting access, that's what I want to focus on as the next Secretary of State, because I think right now we are falling short in our responsibility in making sure that every Mississippian has um, access to the ballot box. Gotcha. Are, are there any specific changes you'd like to see occur in the elections process in Mississippi? I know that would have to come from uh, the legislature, but anything in particular that you would advocate for? Yeah. Even though the Secretary of State, he's not a state senator, he's not a state representative, 
However, um, so that means that he doesn't get to vote on legislation. However, he can make recommendations. Again, he's the chief financial, the chief, chief elections officer in the state. And so several things that I'd like to uh, focus on trying to implement in our state, uh, online better voter registration, same-day voter registration, uh, of course, reinstituting the ballot initiative and supporting and overturning Mississippi's felony disenfranchisement law. Hmm. Um, online voter reg- registration first. By implementing this, what we can do, we can simplify the voter registration process for a broader range of Mississippians, streamlining that process of registration to increase increase participation and ensure more Mississippians' voices are heard in our democracy. And I think same-day voter registration is extremely important to implement also because we have other states all around us that have implemented this and increased um, voter participation and voter turnout uh, by allowing Mississippians to register and vote on the same day. Not only do we remove barriers to participation, but also offer flexibility for those facing last-minute changes, um, changes um, in their address, their uh, they may have missed putting a middle initial on their voter registration. Um, we give them the opportunity to fix those things right when they come into the poll place without turning them around and telling them that you don't get to participate in our democratic process. Of course, reinstituting the ballot initiative, we know that we've been struggling to get that issue fixed for the past few years, when I think it's not that difficult. I really don't. It's a matter of fixing two words. Five and four. It's based off of our previous five district uh, congressional district setup. Now we have four. Go in, figure out how to change five to four so that Mississippians can again have the opportunity to place issues that are important to them directly on the ballot. Hold that thought for a second. I want to ask you about the online uh, voting that you talked about, or voter registration, pardon me, online voter registration you, you mentioned earlier. So, um, Ty, how, how would that work with respect to capturing a, a voter applicant's signature for signature verification um, when they vote, if they do so uh, via mail or even um, when they vote? In, in person absentee. How would you handle that? Well, there are several ways that we can take care of the security aspect of it. Think about it. People provide their information online when they're signing up for a credit card. They get authenticated. Uh, when they're dealing with federal ag- uh, government agencies, state government agencies, such as the Social Security Administration, they figure out a way to be become authenticated when they participate in these portals. Um, when um, signing up for, when doing vote, uh, online voter registration, that's no different. We have the tools, the resources, the, uh, the technological uh, resources to make sure that people have a way, or we have a way, of authenticating people. Maybe we can do what the DOD uses. Military, drive, military IDs are used to authenticate people online. We have, a Mississippi, we have Mississippi driver's licenses in this state. We have all types of government um, IDs in the state where we can use to authenticate people. Okay, so... And, 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 and the bottom line is several other states have already implemented this. So the the, uh, the assertion by some that people not being able to, or us not being able to authenticate people to make sure they who they are who they say they are, 
I don't think it's a strong argument because we have so many other states that, that have already implemented online voter registration. Right. All right. So with respect to the ballot initiative process, you, you, you mentioned that we just changed the, the number five to the number four to align with the number of congressional districts in the state. Do you think that's a better approach than just um, using some sort of language that, that doesn't specify the number of districts at any point in time, but allows um, the, the language to survive and to apply in any scenario? I mean, we may we may get reduced to three. We may get increased to five. It is an absolutely wonderful um, question. It's a great question. I think we need to make it um, work in a way that's uncumbersome to Mississippi voters. We don't want to put them back in the same situation that where they are that they are in now, where okay. they don't have that access. To the ballot initiative. I tell you what, so, Ty, we're out of we're out of time right now. But if you'll stay with us because we got you late, come back and talk to us on the other side of the break for three or four minutes, uh, so we get you the full segment. So just stick there. Okay. We'll come right back. Sounds good. All right. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. 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 News. Huge. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're visiting with Ty Pinkins, candidate for Mississippi Secretary of State. Okay, so Ty, we, we've talked about uh, elections, and, uh, and you, you've shared your thoughts on that and some ideas on voting. You've talked about uh, and how that process could, could change in Mississippi. Uh, you want to change the law so that convicted felons would be allowed to vote. I believe that accurately represents your position on that. Is that right, Ty? Well, I think when we, when we take a look at convicted felons, yeah. what we have to do is think about uh, rehabilitation. Um, that's what the punishments are, whether you commit a civil crime or a criminal, criminal crime. The government or our state, they are in the business of rehabilitating people, whether that means you pay a fine or whether that means you spend years in prison. The rehabilitative, rehabilitative process. Now, when these people are released from prison, we want to send them back into the community be, to be pro, uh, productive citizens, productive members of the community. Yeah. And I that once you serve the time or pay that fine for the crime that you have done, and our legal system, our judicial system says you have done what you're supposed to do, then I think you should have access to the right to vote, which I think is one of the most fundamental rights we have, especially as community members. Okay, gotcha. All right, so let, let's talk about um, uh, another area of responsibility of the Secretary of State, and, that, and that's uh, business services. What, what are your thoughts on that? Any, anything you see there that you'd like to, like to change, like to improve? Absolutely. As you know, for the last several for as long as I can remember, 
our state has been at the back of the line with regard to economic development and job creation. We're always at the back of the line. So I think the Secretary of State's position is important because one of the responsibilities is cultivating relationships with industry and business leaders to promote economic growth across our state, not just in the north, not just down south, not just on the eastern side of our state, but on the western side of our state as well. What we have to really take seriously and understand is that if we want to get off the back of the line, if we want to not be number 50 out of 50 states with regard to economic development and job creation and unemployment, we have to have targeted investment in the Mississippi Delta. You cannot ignore that area and then complain that we stay at the back of the line with, with regard to economic development and job creation and unemployment. So my job as the Secretary of State will be um, responsible for building those relationships with industry leaders, new industries that we can bring in the state. We have an entire river on the western side of our state that runs from Tunica all the way down to the coast. And we know that one of the next big industries to come about is hydropower. Why are we not using that river to create jobs on the western side of our state, in the poorest area of our state, that would help pull us from the back of the line to the middle of the pack? And so those are some of the ideas that I would put forth as the next Secretary of State, making sure that we invest in every corner of our state with regard to job creation and economic development. Okay. Uh, all right. What about public lands? How do you feel about that? That's another area that the Secretary of State has some uh, purview over. Yeah. The uh, the Secretary of State has a role. His role is, is the management and supervision of all state lands. And for me, it's personal to me. I'm a country boy. I, I grew up in the Delta. I understand how important that land is to families that depend on that land, family farmers or families that own land. So I want to make sure that we protect it and make sure that it's there for our our children and our grandchildren in the future. Okay. Uh, have you been keeping up with the situation on the Gulf Coast with respect to some of the public lands down there that's uh, been somewhat controversial? No, I'm not, I'm not fully aware of the issue that's going on down there, and that's why I'm going down there in the near future. Okay, no problem. Uh, another question, just back to, to uh, elections, which is, of course, a major area of responsibility of Secretary of State. What do you think about cleaning up the voter rolls? That's something that the current Secretary of State, Michael Watson, has really been championing. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't think we just should be arbitrarily wiping out voter rolls, because you catch people who haven't done anything wrong. You catch people who actually intend to vote. And I don't think we need to be punishing people because they skip an election. I, I really don't. I think instead we need to make sure that we make access to the ballot available to as many eligible Mississippians as we can, not come up with these, these tricks and these gimmicks to wipe people off the rolls in order to make it easier for the left or the right, for Democrats or Republicans. We need to serve Mississippians and make sure that we're not creating a cumbersome situation for them um, by saying we're going to arbitrarily just wipe these people off simply because, simply because they didn't vote in one election, one presidential election, or two 
presidential election. We don't understand why they didn't vote. Maybe someone just had a new child, and that child was sick, and they couldn't make it to the polls that year. Maybe someone um, lost their home, and they were dealing with a stressful situation, and they couldn't make it to the polls that year. Maybe someone uh, was dealing with some other situation that prevented them from getting to the polls. I, as leaders, I don't believe we should just arbitrarily be wiping people off the road. We should be inviting eligible Mississippians to participate in our democratic process. That makes us stronger. Gotcha. All right, Ty, we appreciate you uh, joining us today, and good luck on the campaign. Gerard, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope to be back soon. Yes, sir. All right, that's Ty Pinkins, a candidate for Mississippi's Secretary of State, and we appreciate him joining us and sharing his views and, and thoughts about um, about voting in Mississippi. And, and you know, it, what, what gets kind of difficult with respect to the Secretary of State's office and candidates running for Secretary of State is that much of what their responsibility entails is really administering what gets passed into law. I mean, their, their job is to administer the law from the perspective of what the Secretary of State's been charged with by law. So much of what you hear from uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of State candidates that, that gets into issues that I think voters want to talk about, such as voting, in, in all the aspects of voting and elections, the Secretary of State's somewhat limited on what they can do. So, like, for example, cleaning up the voter rolls. That's something that Secretary of State Michael Watson has advocated for, and he's produced a fairly comprehensive plan to do so, and has worked with the legislature to push that through. Some of that's happened. Some of it ha- has not. I certainly understand Mr. Pinkett's point that we don't want to just arbitrarily remove people, but the plan that the Secretary of State, Michael Watson, proposed doesn't do that. It is true that if you're just inactive for an extended period of time, there is risk there that you could have someone voting and their their ballot really is invalid by using the um, the registration of someone that's no longer eligible to vote. They leave. That's what happens a lot. They just depart the state. They depart their district. And they don't update their records. And that just opens up the door for possible uh, voting irregularity. So voter integrity, election integrity, really starts with accurate voter rolls. And I think proposals that would allow a person, if they showed up having not voted for eight years and showed up said, I'm here to vote, gee, we don't have you as a registered voter, you still could vote, sign an affidavit saying, yeah, I'm really here, I'm valid, here's my ID, etc. Still, still required to meet the various uh, criteria to cast a, a ballot. And then just verify that off uh, after the fact, and if it uh, checks out, your vote counts, and if it doesn't, it, it doesn't count. I think that's reasonable, but I have concerns about, I know, situations across the state. We have 82 counties. We have voter rolls that have people on them that have passed away. If they, they haven't reported it, maybe we're not 
doing any sort of verification against data sources that would show death. And it could be that um, they moved and passed away in other states, and we're not sharing that data across state lines and so forth. I mean, there's any number of reasons, but when you got people that on the voter rolls that are 125 years old, probably not legitimate. And that's a concern. So this should be, be interesting. We're stepping aside for a break. And we're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Half an hour left on middays. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. It's middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. Speaking of wealth, the markets aren't looking too rosy today. The Dow last check was down 300 points. Lots of concerns about sticky inflation, the price of oil. You heard the uh, the clip on our our show interview with Jim Richards. The President CEO of KLLM Transport, and uh, he made the point that when you see a, some economic downturns, that is first felt in the trucking, in the transportation industry, and he made some, some uh, very significant points there. They're starting to feel it. They're starting to see it from their customers and. Of course, they primarily transport refrigerated products, food. And you see a downturn there. I think he said, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino in the clip, in his interview with Mr. Gallo, that some of his customers had shut down plants, right? Sees a transition from beef to chicken, just buyer habits, consumption habits changing. Beef, of course, more expensive protein than is chicken. Yeah, and the, and the president's just oblivious to all this sort of stuff, these dynamics going on. So the, the markets are, are consuming all of this data and trying to see where, where things are going, economically speaking. And yesterday, with the PPI coming in hotter than expected, that usually suggests that the Fed is going to stay aggressive with respect to interest rates that might raise them some more. I think more significantly, they stay high for a while. Man, the price of cars has gone up a lot. If you finance vehicles, which most buyers do, you figure in the interest rates now. That's had a significant impact on the, the monthly payment 
because the interest component of the payment much higher than it was a short year and a half or so ago. Same is true with respect to housing. I don't think we've seen the full effect of the uh, interest rate hikes the, the Fed has been uh, applying for the last uh, over just slightly over a year. I think it started about 14 months ago. We haven't really seen the full effect of that monetary policy. And again, I maintain that it's it's asinine that we got the Fed trying to tame inflation by raising interest rates, and we got the we got the the government, federal government, who's responsible for fiscal policy, whereas the Fed is responsible for monetary policy, e.g., interest rate maintenance and adjustments. Well, we got the federal government, who's who's uh, implementing fiscal policy, which is counterintuitive to fighting inflation. Because the way fiscal policy could fight inflation is to get the heck out of the way and let the private sector produce more, generate more supply. But the rhetoric that comes from this administration and the policies, especially those which are all about reducing the production of energy, because they don't want any fossil fuels industry whatsoever. The president made it clear in one of those interviews he did back before the election when he got asked about his position on fossil fuels in the industry in general. And he said, yeah, we're going to shut it down. He said that on the campaign trail. So if you're responsible for making decisions as an executive at one of those companies in that business, you're probably not too keen on investing and expanding and producing more when you know you've got a federal government that wants to shut your industry down. Good grief. That doesn't bode well for increasing the supply of energy which is a major component, and it honestly is included in everything we consume, good or service. It's integrated into that. So it's the Fed and the federal government at odds, contending, conflicting. Makes no sense. The only way... For same, the only reason, pardon me, for same day registration is fraud, says Michael in Brookhaven. I, I do think, Michael, that it is possible to have same day registration that essentially emulates the exact process that is used to register to vote prior to prescribed deadlines. However, having that available and standing that capability up at every precinct is is a problem. It's expensive. There's a fair amount of vetting that has to occur because you think about it, you don't want somebody in the line that has to do more than just show their ID and sign a book. That's a pretty fast process. Okay, you're good to go. Here's your ballot. But if somebody shows up and says, look, I need to register, 
Well, that's a more involved process. You've got to prove your address with some some identity. Maybe it's utility bills. You've got to have a current driver's license. Well, right? The way you alleviate that problem is you make it – you can register – you can vote same day, but it's treated as an affidavit vote, and you have to go to the clerk's office to then register for that vote to count. That's that's an approach. I agree. That's that's diff- That's voting same day, signing an affidavit, registering after the fact, as opposed to registering same day and then being allowed to vote. Um, but I think that also <clears throat> fixes the questions of same day voting being used for voter fraud because you still have to show up at the clerk's office, show your ID, prove who you are. Right, and I was just simply saying if you replicated that process at every precinct. That means you got to have somebody that represents the clerk's office, and they've got the tools, the resources available. And it can't be the same line where people are waiting to vote. And that was my point. You'd have to have some other side sort of line, I guess, additional spot, location at the precinct. People that need to register to vote today over here, well, that's just convoluted. And you could see how that would get just sticky, a bit chaotic, and it costs money. I mean, it just costs money, and that that would be a problem, as opposed to the voter, uh, all all the voters who register going to the same place, going to them instead of them coming to you, which is essentially what you'd be doing if you place these sorts of capabilities at every precinct. So, I mean, there's ways of avoiding fraud. That's the point I'm making. It's just expensive and, and might be inconvenient in doing so. But I, I hear what you're saying, Michael. Convicts should not be allowed to vote on the ceasefire tax line. Well, there's lots of discussion about that, about voter disenfranchisement. Um, you know, if a, if a person serves their time and and they're released and they've met their obligation under the law, under the terms of the court, should they be reinstated as a voter? That's, that's uh, I can see pros and cons, honestly. I mean, the, the con, from my view, is, well, look, you shouldn't have committed that crime. I mean, there's this, this is the sort of permanent punishment you pay for crossing the line. On the other hand, I can see where some people truly were rehabilitated, truly did express remorse, truly are trying to to reintegrate into society and be productive, I, I think there are such people. Maybe we ought to let them vote. I think a compromise on that would be, because not the vast majority, but a big chunk of people that are in prison get released before their full sentence due to good behavior or 30 for 30 or any number of, of other means. So I think you would you would re-enfranchise them at the end of their full sentence. Okay. Well, that's so that say you got 25 years for committing a crime, but you got released after 15 for good behavior. After 25 years, you could be re-enfranchised. That, I mean, that would be a reasonable compromise. I might be able to get along with that. But, I, I mean, I'd, I'd have to really think about it and see it. I, I get it, though. I understand why people have concerns. Brian and Madison asked, does Ty feel the same about restoring Second Amendment rights to felons after they serve their time, or, do, or is it just restoration of voting rights? I don't know. I didn't ask him that question. But again, 
This really isn't a matter for the Secretary of State. That's the point. You won't have any control over that as the Secretary of State. That's a legislative matter, a lawmaker's matter. We're coming right back with a final segment on Midday. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio. It's the final segment on middays before the weekend begins. You don't see the children at the border because they've been trafficked. But well, Actually, it wasn't even at the border. This was video I had seen from, I think it was Panama, and I just noticed that it was just a, a large swath of adults. Dan says uh, they've been trafficked before they get to the border. Yeah, but it, Dan, it wouldn't add up if there's zero. I mean, just I looked very carefully, stopped the video, and I, I, the point I'm trying to make is, the left justifies this migration on this this ruse, in my view, that we've got to protect the children, and this really isn't children. It's it's a lot of it's just bad adults that want to get into this country, and that's it doesn't line up with what the left tells us as the justification for. Just this massive migration. No, the left lies to justify their nonsense. <laughs> the workers for the big three should be grateful they have a job. Those plants could have moved to Mexico. Big three should have moved plants to Mississippi or other southern states. Well, that is, in fact, that's a good point. That's Greg and Madison. Why so many of them are seeking states that uh, aren't fully unionized, so-called right-to-work states, such as the state of Mississippi. Remember, we had an issue with um, a a possible unionization of Nissan here in Canton, not far from our location right now. And it failed a few years ago. The workers voted it down. Let's see here. Dwight, Dwight's always got something going on there that's just constantly aggrieved. I think it's the way the world turns for liberals. <laughs> the, There's uh, never a happy day. There There's was, always something to be butthurt about. There was that was an impressive transition from kids singing a state song right into drag queens. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Dwight. You see, it's a three-hour show, and and uh, you know, you we talk about a wide variety, a wide range of topics, and some of them, I suspect. You don't care for our positions. You make that pretty clear, and that's fine. We appreciate you listening, and I appreciate the compliment. I thought it was a good transition. <laughs> Why they had to make a big deal out of that, I have no idea. The conservatives on the Supreme Court says Mary and Greenwood turned their back on us when they wouldn't hear about any of the voting fraud 2020. By them doing that, the liberals will continue to cheat because they know they can get away with it. The problem is, Mary, they're just folks that that uh, approach the Supreme Court with these cases just didn't have sufficient evidence. And honestly, 
I don't want the Supreme Court just taking up cases on some ideological basis. I want them to focus on, hey, we've got to have sufficient evidence that meets the, the criteria, the qualifications, to hear a case here at the Supreme Court. Otherwise, we'd have so many dang cases, because there'd be so many frivolous cases filed, knowing, yeah, I'm going to get my two minutes of fame at the Supreme Court. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but that's the reasoning why they really never got any traction. And I think I think we as conservatives got to do a better job on this whole voter fraud issue. Uh, I think as long as we hold the view that really Trump didn't lose, he just got defrauded. I think as long as we do that and we hang our hat on that, we're likely to continue to lose. I think we have to honestly be uh, be cognizant and honest about the fact that he was just a wildly unpopular candidate that he barely won in 2016, and that the people he needed in 2020 to win wilted on him. The same people that voted for him in 16 in those handful of counties in the four or five states that are necessary to win the so-called swing states, they weren't in his camp. What's going to happen in 24? I don't know. I do think that it's, it's shocking to me that the polls are close. Poll after poll shows Biden and Trump close. Some show him slightly ahead. Some, some show him slightly behind. And again, the, but the popular sort of polls like that don't matter. What matters is how the, those handful of swing voters feel in those counties where it makes a difference and honestly where the election is decided. The, uh, there was somebody else that asked a question um, about uh, school choice tuition. And so right now you can actually, if you get permission from your district, you can transition over, transfer to a different district if both districts agree to that. But you do have to cover the cost, uh, some of that cost, because that money doesn't flow with you. And all, the whole issue of school choice, folks, is... It just imagine a blank sheet of paper. Imagine an, an, an artist canvas. We can make it be anything we want. So there's nothing that's etched in stone that says school choice equals this. It's all handled with law. It's up to the design of the lawmakers. We're out of here today. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.